we are live back at it again. Holy shit, that just broke Gito, my ear. Alex, and Tommaso. Keep it going. That's it. This is our intro. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. The boys are the buzzing. boys are back and there's gonna be trouble. Hey, hey now, hey, hey, hey now, hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> what, how does right. that how does that go after that part? Like that song really got me excited because it threw me back. Uh, I don't know, but I was kind of uh, wishing Gino just fell down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's our intro. Screw it. Um, All right, we're in. Guys, it's been a minute since we've recorded. It's actually been like a million minutes, dude. When was the last episode we released, Tommaso? I think August 23rd. It's been a while. It's been a while. Oh, but we're back, song. baby. Can we, cue up the, uh, can we cue up the Backstreet Boys song? Is it Backstreet's back? Backstreet's back. All right. We, we owe our, our listeners an explanation as, as to where we've been because we've all been doing some new things in our life. Who wants, I mean, Tommaso, you, you had the biggest transition. Why don't you tell some people what you've been doing? I'm, uh, I'm a married man. I got married. Woo. So that's, Woo, that's let's, the, go. let's go. Let's go. That's the uh, biggest piece of news coming out of me, October 16th, to my beautiful wife, Janet, which was on uh, an episode about communication. So that's the biggest thing, and it's been great. Um, that's pretty much it, yeah. Well, shit, that's it. What else have you been doing? <laughs> uh, Hashtag honey on, badger. I know. I, know. Uh, I took on a bigger role as a strength and conditioning coach. So that's been a nice little change of pace. And on top of that, I've been working on a project that new PTs on the block will be coming out soon with uh, hopefully by the end of the year. But <laughs> at, the pace, at the pace that we move, a little bit later than that. So keep uh, keep an eye out for that. And Keep following us on our IG and listen to our podcast because we, we got some big news coming and we're really pumped about it. You think we'll make an episode on that? Ooh. We're also kind of like leaving them with a big cliffhanger here, kind of like, oh, what's next? And then we're not talking about it. So <laughs> well, 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 why, why, don't you, why don't you tell them what project you've become a part of and then like, what's, what's the purpose of that project? Like what are the intentions? Because I'm sure there are going to be some people who are listening who maybe think that home health or outpatient therapy like isn't really for them. And this might be a good way to get some followers or clients to what you're a part of as well. For sure. So if you guys remember one of our episodes, it was baby shark. What was the name of it? <laughs> it was, it was telehealth uh, something and baby shark I with think. Frank Benedetto. So <clears throat> yeah. So if you guys don't know Frank Benedetto, get to know him. He's changing the world of physical therapy. I reached out to him looking for something different to move a little bit out of my clinic job. And his message is pretty clear. It's to get physical therapy to be more accessible, more a direct consumer approach. And it really empowers physical therapists to go out there, start their own thing, work within a niche, and really make a difference in terms of patient outcomes, physical therapy, or physical therapist satisfaction. And I think it's going to really, really make a huge change in burnout rates. Um, so working with him, I'm coming up with a mentorship program that yours truly, New PTs on the Block, will be hopefully coming out with towards the end of the year, if not early 2020. So everyone, please keep an eye out for that. Listen to our podcast, look at our IG. We're get some big news coming up. I've been kind of hinting at it, but I'm really, really putting to work. And I think, I think it's going to be awesome. And we're going to help a lot of young clinicians make a big change. Early 2020. So we're going to go back in time. <laughs> yeah. I think early 2020. Oh, early 2022. Sorry. Early 2022. The 20s. So Alex, this might be a good time now. to tell this might be a good time to tell everyone about the time machine you've been working on so that we can really Damn it, you gotta, you gotta edit that out. Somehow, can you adjust that? I have been listening to that Taylor Swift Red album. And so oh, yeah. I'm feeling 22. <laughs> I've been playing a lot. So just put that in place of the 20s. All right, Gino, tell us what you've been up to, man. All right. Well, actually what's today saturday sunday uh tuesday i will officially be done with 
my orthopedic residency hey, that I completed wow. yeah, with PT Solutions. So that's what I've been working on for the last 10 months. And it's gone by really quickly. So just to get everyone the lowdown here, I'm the person who edits the podcast. So when I went into this residency, I told Tommaso and Alex, I said, one of you is going to have to take on the role of editing these podcasts. I'm going to be busy with the residency. And Alex struggles enough with just making a post <laughs> Instagram. So he was immediately not a candidate. And then Tommaso actually runs our Instagram page and is busy transitioning from his clinic life to doing things with Honey Badger. So he was out of it. So that's why the content really hasn't been getting put out because we really don't have time to record. And even if we do, the editing process has been super slow. So that's kind of what I've been working on for the last 10 months. But now that it's going to be done, I will have a lot more time to edit and we'll be able to put a lot more content out for you guys. So I don't know if you guys can tell, but the amount of times I post and make sure that <laughs> takes a lot of my time away. It's hard. It's it's really hard to come up with stuff. And I try my best and then time slips away from me. And I'm like, damn it, I need to put a post out or something. But I'll be better at that. <laughs> Uh, I think it's also like just a, a statement for the people who do like who are Instagram or like social media influencers. Like I think it, at a glance, it seems super easy, but the amount of work and prep and Tommaso, you could speak to this because I know they talk about this in Honey Badger a little bit that goes into every single post is is more than you would think. Yeah. There's a, there's a way to construct it and certain things that you should say to really catch the audience attention. But anyways, Alex, how about you, man? What's new with you? So over the last eight months, I've been working on one single webinar <laughs> <laughs> on ten tendinopathy. Uh, maybe that's too much giveaway for what's, what's to come. Um, no, but, I like a little sneak peek. So over the next four months, that will finally be done. Uh, I guess in the last couple months, my wife and I, have bought a new house and we're in the process of moving over over the last few weeks and uh getting moose a, a backyard finally that's why millennials move right to to have a yard for their dog so <laughs> makes a difference man makes a difference and alex too you've been getting a little bit heavier into like the strength and conditioning programming and in that realm do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah i think working with some of the data-driven strength guys a little bit within some of the products that they have to offer has really taught me a lot within strength and conditioning, but more specifically the powerlifting niche within that. So that's been really cool. And since I got a new house, I'm moving my gym from the garage this winter to the basement. That was something me and Tommaso were uh, talking about before air so i'm excited not to be wearing gloves and mittens <laughs> and hats <laughs> squatting and benching but no that's that's been cool and then connecting with clinicians in my surrounding area locally to just talk shop and to develop professional skills going forward so that's something a little, a little side note yeah, speaking about cold garages and uh, garage gyms, it's literally like you, you touch the barbell for the first time and it just, you freeze. Like you can't move. It's like the coldest feeling on your hands. <laughs> this, is, this workout's going to suck. <laughs> but somehow you power through it. We've been doing it for about over a year, so it's pretty good. Dude, Dedication. If, like working out in the morning in the garage and then going into the clinic, my hands were still cold throughout <laughs> the whole morning of working with patients like i would be afraid to touch someone because i would freeze them just still from the morning of grabbing the barbell when i was realigning their their uh vertebral joints to improve their posture that's when I oh, oh, there no. it is I was, I was looking for the segue i was trying to think of how we could come up with it that was it so today we're bringing to you a little bit about posture and we're going to keep things how we've done it before, where we kind of give you guys some of the stuff that we were taught in school and some of the narratives we learned when we were new grads and how that has changed up until this point. So Tomas or Alex, as usual, when you kick it off, what, what do we learn in school about posture? Well, what we didn't learn about posture in school is the history of it and why the upright 
sitting tall, standing tall posture is very important, um, which just kind of seemed ambiguous. But in the 18th century, it actually was a way to determine your social status. So if you were higher class, had more money, you stood up nice and tall, um, you walked around tall, kind of like puffing out your chest to say, hey, look at me, I'm the shit. If you were slouched down, you had quote unquote poor posture, you were uh, inferior or at a lower class. So there's your uh, fun fact of the day, guys. And that's it. We're done. Wow. That's what we learned. That's what we did. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of neutral on this topic, so I'm glad you started it out, Tommaso. Uh, we also learned that the best way <laughs> no. to... No one liked that joke. All right. <laughs> oh, neutral. Oh, damn it. I got it. Oh. I did not get it at first, sorry. No one else did either then. Uh, got it. Damn. Uh, we, <laughs> we also learned that a great way to assess posture is with this random dangling line from the ceiling with a weight that keeps the line in place and you stand someone in front of it or you use a grid behind. So, um, which we have found that is just all BS. That was like literally our first, I feel like that was our first day, like our first class. I feel like for whatever <laughs> reason, plumb line. Stand in front of this line, this uh, thread with a weight, don't get hit by the pendulum and pick everything that's wrong with me. <laughs> yeah yeah and you know we used to do that and i think there was maybe some value in it because it sharpened your eye to catching any type of major or minor deviations in someone's posture but the problem with it was that any of those deviations that we caught were automatically bad or somehow contributing to any type of dysfunction that the patient or the person had which now we know isn't really the case. But I think it's worth talking about why that really isn't the case. And I know Alex and, and Tommaso, you guys work with athletes a lot more than I do. So I, I think that's a good example of what do you typically see in athletes where there might be like a deviation, but why would that be considered normal? Well, yeah, that's definitely a, a deep topic trying to think even specifically where where to start with that it all depends on the the athlete because you're exactly right if we start to to measure something then our focus and our attention is going to be on what we measure and that i believe is starting to be the problem of posture because if we become over aware or over heightened on some sort of deviation between limbs or side to side measurements that could focus our attention and our treatment down a rabbit hole that potentially is meaningless. So for example, you say athletes off the bat, there's just specific examples with overhead throwers or tennis players, right? They're throwing limb or their limb where they use to swing the tennis racket, their bone mineral density is stronger or, or more dense on that side that they're using more frequently. And I think they even have a, a longer limb length just due to use, but is that abnormal or is that a normal deviation side to side? So a big rabbit hole of then what is a normal deviation or what is abnormal? Tommaso, what do you have from that? Well, I'm just thinking of lifters since I've been working a little bit with them uh, a little bit more frequently now. But the issue with posture is that you're using your eyes, right, to see something that is quote unquote abnormal and then assuming that there is pain or some type of discomfort or limitation that that athlete or person is feeling. So, for example, right, there are some big guys that I work with, massive traps, you know, traps that look like mountains. And you're like, oh, your traps are huge. You got neck pain, right? And that's not always necessarily the case. So, you know, one of the things that you can go down a rabbit hole or is dangerous with that is using assumptions just because of what you see. And there's a lot of different ways that I can go with this and different things that you can see with athletes. But in the end, it doesn't really matter kind of what you're looking at. I don't know. I'm now I'm just rambling. No, and I think there's value there. And I, and I think I wanted to start off with athletes because I think for the listener, that's easier to just kind of build up in your head or imagine that if I have, let's just say a pitcher who's a right-handed thrower, 
that makeup uh, on that side, whatever dominant side he's throwing on, is going to be a lot different than his non-dominant side. Now it's taking that and transitioning it to, well, how does that apply to our everyday person who walks into a clinic, right? Because I think it's for the athlete, it's easy, okay. They have their dominant side. They're doing a lot more with that. But that goes for all our non-athletes too. Our dad who maybe shovels always on facing the right side or our mom who always carries her kid on the left side, on the left hip. From doing those activities, there's going to be postural deviations as well. And maybe sometimes that's something that we can look into to see if changing that could have an effect on their function or maybe what their symptoms are but it's not always going to be as important as we think it is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that you brought up athletes first because reflecting back on what you were saying and then what Tommaso was saying, I would look closely, more closely into an athlete's symmetry side to side, whether that's strength or range of motion, than I would a person just in the general population that has pain and wants to be healthier. So I know this is a bad example, but for ACLR rehab, maybe, maybe posture is not the, the right thing we look at, but limb symmetry index with strength mainly, but yeah, range of motion as well and posture with squatting or posture with jump mechanics or things like that. There's symmetry side to side. I would tend to cue more closely in on some of those deviations versus just spinal posture or scapular kinematics or hip hip hike within some of the the general population that just are experiencing pain because of a lot of social factors and a lot of psychosocial factors like going back to Tommaso's introduction into the history of things well was it the posture that made them poor or rich no it was likely they had more ego or self-esteem or self-confidence or self-efficacy because they had the money and the power and the land and all that stuff. And that's what made them change their posture, not the posture made them wealthier. So it's all those social factors that can influence posture just as well as I'm sure biological things too, but more so in the general populations when I look closer or more so in the general population, I seem to care less about posture. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think, so one of the things that I've been noticing since we've gone into, well, beginning of COVID, shelter in place, a lot of people were working from home and that forced them to sit at a computer for a long period of time. And um, maybe they're just, you know, not used to it. And when you look at the athlete at that point, they're so high level that they have made the adaptations that their structures can take the stresses that their body is being put through versus general population. For example, your 55 year old man who's working from home, maybe is not used to sitting at a desk at his computer for a long period of time. So his neck starts to hurt right now. Do we blame the posture or do we blame the fact that it is an increase in volume that those tissues are being put under, right? So my, my thought process isn't like, okay, what, what's the difference between athlete and general population is what has changed? Is there an increase in volume to those, to those tissues? And are we just blaming it on the posture or the fact that that person has it has been able to get used to it. For example, another example is, let's take someone who takes a new job, has lift and carry boxes, right? Initially, that person's gonna feel sore, right? And how he interprets soreness is up to him, but someone can just take general soreness and be like, oh, that's painful, okay? But lifting, carrying, and all these weird postures, as he does that job more, he's gonna adapt to it and he's not gonna have pain, right? So adaptations, to the stresses that the body's going through, how the person interprets what he or she is feeling, right? And that's like, for me, what's difficult to really say that posture leads to pain. Do you guys know what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, I actually think it was a really good point because I feel like a lot of times some seasoned clinicians will hear posture and automatically throw it away, but you can't deny some aspects of it, right? Like you can't deny physics, 
you can't deny creep that's happening and the adaptations that are happening on the tissue. You can't deny that if I am not getting enough thoracic extension, it is somehow going to affect my shoulder girdle function. Like there are aspects of that that may be significant. And that's the key word, maybe, because I think it's we get in trouble when we just like this blanket statement of, oh, well, you're kyphotic. That's exactly why you have shoulder pain. Well, it may be a part, but Alex did very well in speaking to all the other factors that also play a role in the patient's pain experience, because we've learned fairly well now that while there is a biological component, there's also probably a hundred other components that are playing a role in their presentation. So I think this is where as doctors in our profession, we need to use our skills to determine what is significant because this is where we get into the problem of medical medicalizing normalcy, right? Normal deviations in a patient's or a person's posture or the way they present themselves and then automatically saying, oh, this is problematic and this is why you're having pain. And I don't know if I took that in a completely different direction than what you were going for, Tommaso, but that's kind of what came up in my head when you were speaking. No, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's we should not demonize what is normal in our, in our everyday life, right? Or, or what does normal even mean? Yeah. Well, I know that everyone experiences pain, just like how everyone experiences different emotions, right? And how they interpret that is different from person to person. But to solely blame your pain on poor posture, I think that is just, that's just bad. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing that. It could, and you're right. And everything, I mean, physics does, it comes down to physics, right? Exactly like you said. Uh, an inch forward in a forehead posture is going to increase, quote unquote, you know, what they say in the literature, 10 pounds on the cervical spine, right? But over time, you know, does that really make a difference or is that person just going to adapt to it and they're going to be perfectly fine? You know, it affects me differently than it affects you. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Tommaso, because like everyone, the new diagnosis, right, is like text neck or like the forward head. And we think because of the amount of time that people are on their phones, that's now why there's maybe an increase in the amount of neck pain that we're seeing, which that might not even be, be true. I don't even know. But then you, you don't take into account the people for years past who read all the time and constantly have their head down. Like, why do we never address that aspect of things? Is it because reading is portrayed as something that's good and boosts your knowledge, but texting as, and being on your phone is something that's portrayed as bad. So then we said, okay, well, since we portray that as bad, now let's associate neck pain or, or give it a diagnosis. But no one cared when everyone was spending 10 hours a day with their head in a book. So I, I was just glad that you brought that up because I think that's a good talking point as to your body is going to adapt to whatever stresses you're putting on it. If you if it happens at the right rate and over the right amount of time. And if it's not adapting, that's when we need to intervene and figure out why isn't it adapting and where can we come in and make a change so that those adaptations happen. Yeah, I think that was really well stated. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I got nothing to argue with, with what you guys said. Uh, I have an interesting jumping off point here that we can maybe have a conversation about because I had a patient just last week who I've been working with for a while uh, for other other conditions. She's a younger middle school girl and she has uh, neck pain and we got to talking and I know her pretty well. So I asked her what her screen time was for her, her weekly average. You guys wanna take a guess on what her average per day uh, was screen time on her phone? 12 hours. Ooh, close. Damn, that's... <sighs> I was a little bit lower. Uh, was that Sam? <laughs> that was Sam. <laughs> Sam, you got to quiet your yawns. <laughs> um, uh, I know that I've, I've uh, gotten close to the four-hour mark. So as a young girl, social media, I'm going to go with nine hours. It was 11 hours. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah, 11 hours. And all those TikToks. Dude, seriously. And I was blown away by that because one, I, I haven't seen one that high, but I just knew she, she's on her phone a lot. 
but granted, I don't think I still don't think that it's the posture that's leading to her pain, even though she's on her phone so frequently. I think there are just so many other social factors that uh, you're missing out on from being on your phone 11 hours a day. And just because I, I know I know her pretty well uh, with some of her her family life and things like that that are more influenced of her pain. But I just curious what you guys thought of that. Well, yeah, like, is she, is she getting enough sleep? Is she exercising? Is she right. moving her body in different ways, right? You know, it's not, it's not a posture thing. It's just being active, you know, move your body in different planes, uh, get some exercise in, get, you know, it, I think that is where we should look at versus just demonizing quote unquote poor posture. Yeah, dude, I love that. I love that because if, for the new grads out there, if someone comes in even with whatever we whatever we deem as poor posture, like I, I agree with you totally, it's Tomas. So that should be our talking points. It should be those other healthy lifestyle changes instead of examining and like honing in on, oh man, you are doomed because you have this much lordosis and your head now weighs a hundred pounds and you should do these chin tucks because you know what gains in the cervical spine and your posture is going to get better. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even if you do chin tucks as an exercise, like that doesn't need to be your explanation. Your explanation could be exactly what you said Tommaso. you could manage sleep you could just manage on moving it can cardio and strengthen like all these other factors instead of just focusing in on posture being the culprit of pain so so did you give her chin tucks and seated scab squeezes <laughs> <laughs> hell no actually you guys wouldn't guess what we did i bet you wouldn't be able to guess i'll give you, you another, went on another guess went on TikTok. <laughs> i was gonna say you made a TikTok. <laughs> no actually that we should have done that um we did box jumps we did box jumps because we played catch and we did box jumps because uh, she had fun on seeing how high she could get uh, up onto these plyo boxes and the smile on her face when she left i feel like was more meaningful than any chin tuck i could have done plus do you think she's gonna go home and do that no and how does she feel after the session so you know, her and I have a pretty good relationship going back. Um, she it just seems like it's kind of sad because she doesn't have very many friends, it seems like. And this is just a, a <laughs> more of a social outing for her in some ways. But I try to get her to move. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we deadlifted 126 pounds. Let's go. Uh, and and you should have seen her <laughs> kyphosis with that. But still, like she was so pumped. She We recorded a video of it. And um, her mom called the clinic saying how happy that she was due to like her daughter's happiness. And uh, so it's those things that are more meaningful than like the posture itself. Dude, that is such an awesome story. I just gotta say like one of the things that has become very apparent to me like throughout my career is that you just have to treat the person in front of you. And I feel like that is a perfect example of treating the person in front of you where yes, you considered possibly what could be causing her neck pain, but as someone who maybe has some more social factors that could be contributing to what she's feeling, you treated those and got probably a better outcome than if you would have done chin tucks or some type of row, and you just promoted physical activity and movement. You kept it simple, stupid, as Tommaso loves to say, and uh, the outcome was awesome. So anyone listening... Uh, take a lesson from Alex right there because that's one of the best stories I've heard in quite some time. Oh, thank you. You're, so, you're a great therapist, Alex. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think, I think that that just highlights exactly what the message of this podcast is, is that posture isn't the end-all be-all. There's a lot of other things that you can address and sit down and talk to your patient that's going to be more meaningful than you know, reverse your kyphosis with scapular squeezes, you know, be active, move around every 30 minutes, change your positions, don't stay static, you know, keep your body moving. And that's what the research shows is exercise makes the biggest difference. Um, it can also help down modulate pain. But then you're I mean, one of the things I wanted to say before Alex brought this up, and you can even add this in there a little bit before was, Gino, when you brought up, you bring up the point of 
reading and why that wasn't being looked at and why is now looking at your phone or text neck causing pain. I think it's because of some of the nocebic language that we have more access to, right? Anyone can go on social media, anyone can follow anyone and they'll say, don't be in this position with your neck or don't round your back or don't hyper, don't have hyperextended knees because it will lead to poor posture and pain. I think that is a huge difference now versus back then. And once you get that language going, what happens, right? We start to catastrophize, we start to freak out about it and pain increases. And again, we start to demonize poor posture. Yeah, I agree with that. And the thing is too, is like, I'm like hunched, like if you see my posture, I'm like hunched over right now, my neck is forward and do I have neck pain? Yeah, but that's a completely different story, right? <laughs> it's because your nose is so heavy. <laughs> Dude, come on. Oh, my gosh. That's uh, fucked up. <laughs> no, but, I mean, I, I was going to use this as a transition because Alex talked about deadlifting, and I feel like posture and form, they just go hand in hand, so we could transition to that. But I do want to bring up two things that I guess are going to be an argument for and I kind of alluded to this earlier, but like maybe like what is the goal of like doing maybe some type of thoracic extension movement with someone who could have shoulder pain? Part of my argument against like not looking at posture is like if I have a six-year-old woman who is very kyphotic and comes in with shoulder pain and I focus on posture, right, and trying to improve that thoracic kyphosis, the thought that runs through my head is Am I going to make any changes within the eight weeks I see her to her thoracic kyphosis that has basically been building up over the last 50, 60 years, right? Because that's almost impossible to an extent. So then the argument to that would be then, well, why would I even do any type of thoracic extension at all if you already know that you're not going to make changes in the overall posture? And I'm going to tell you guys my thoughts and you guys could, I would love to hear the counter, but I know we're a very heavy biomedical model profession and the pendulum's starting to swing a little bit, but I also think that the physiology can be important. So when I have someone do some type of active thoracic extension, my goal isn't to change the curve when she goes, he or she goes home, but it's to get those muscles firing in that new position within that moment. And if I can get them firing a little bit better, and I know firing is kind of like a trigger word, right? Because the muscle's always firing. But if I could get them to be used a little bit better in that position, that may help when she's trying to reach up overhead. They may be able to fire better in that moment, which can then help with her function a little bit. And I think the key, even with that narrative, is that that's just one component that I'm looking at with her. It's not the whole thing. It's not going to be the make or break or whether her shoulder pain disappears, but it is something that we can address that may have an effect within that session and maybe carry over to her at-home life. But I would love to hear arguments if you guys disagree or agree with that. Well, I think you corrected the only argument that I would have within that, Gino, is just the semantics of fire better or for the muscles, like firing better within a position because, well, how do we measure that first off? And then how do we measure it if they're not firing? And then after we do get them in position, like how do we know if they do fire better? We don't have like a pre and post test measure, but you kind of corrected that and did a good job with that. So yeah, I would, I would basically say the same thing. It just exposes them to a new position or a practicing. You can almost look at it like a skill that they're not used to doing. So if they're not used to picking things up off the floor and then you pick things up off the floor, even if they don't do it that frequently, now when they do need to do it, they'll be better exposed or, or better prepared for that. And so that's, is that kind of what you're alluding to, Gino, is just that they're going to be prepared for a certain range of motion if you practice within that range of motion yeah you you said it a lot better but that's exactly what i was going for yeah, perfect yeah and i also 
think you're exactly right. I think maybe you're, you're just taking some of those structures and putting them a little bit on Slack. Maybe you're, is it, is she doing like a press up with her hands? Cause if it's an isometric, I mean, that's been shown to take some pain away as well. Right. You're really not going to make structural changes that have been there for 30, 40, 50 years with 10 prone press ups holding for five seconds. Right. So, um, is it isometrics decrease pain? Um, is it just reversing some, some tension that's on some structures or is a prone press up painful, right? And then it just makes reaching overhead less painful. There's a lot of things that you can think about, but you're exactly right. I don't think you're going to increase the firing of a muscle. So there's many things we can look at. I, I'm curious what you guys real quick, because we all have patients that do really focus though on posture, like as their goals, they come in and maybe their only goal is to improve their posture. They want to stand up taller. And despite motivational interviewing, you can't change their thought process on looking at posture differently and maybe not as important. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, because I'll tell I will sometimes tell patients, how do I phrase it? So I'm not lying to them. <laughs> I tell them that, Hey, okay. I, I examine posture, even though a lot of what I examine maybe isn't that meaningful, but just so that they feel like I'm listening to them and, and hearing their goals. And so I'll kind of look at posture a little bit more detailed than I normally would. And then even if we just do give them resistance training, even if it is like shoulder rows and things like that, because they're not already resistance training, I will say things like, this could potentially give you the best option to improve your posture. And so that way that they're participating in a, a healthy lifestyle choice and still they, it gives them a motivation because they feel like it, it may really improve their posture, which likely won't, but I guess it could. Yeah, I, I think if, if a patient comes in with a strong belief about posture, you kind of have to take the path of least resistance with it. And I love the fact that you, the way that you word that resistance training may give you the opportunity to improve posture. It's kind of like wrapping the pill in, in, in bacon, right? Like you're giving them, no, but do you know what I mean? If they don't want to, if they don't want to do exercise, they just want to work on posture, right? You're you're going with their beliefs, but you're also using what evidence shows as the best treatment method to help them achieve their goals. It's tough when you have someone come in and say, I, it's my posture. It's, it's, this is the reason why I have pain. Like, let's fix it. I like that analogy. I never heard that. Get the pill, put it in, in bacon, dude, or peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. And what I love about what you two just said is that it goes back to kind of like what we talked about with your young female uh, client, Alex, where you're treating the person in front of you, you're meeting the person in the middle and giving them what they want because even if the research suggests that posture training isn't effective, but their beliefs are strong that post changing posture or adjusting posture will have a change in their pain, well, then that's probably what we should be doing. And I think that's probably the mistake that I made a lot when I was a younger clinician of just, this is what the research says. So I'm going to do this regardless of whether you like it or not. And that got me into a lot of problems and left uh, me with a lot of patients who weren't getting better. So I think that's awesome that you're meeting that person in the middle and spinning it in a way that gives them what they want for that session, even if that's not necessarily what you know, the research supports. But I want to talk about something because it's around like the thoracic and cervical posture. And I got to give all the credit to one of my mentors, Travis Barefoot, who I hope to have on the podcast soon, because he kind of brought this to my attention about when posture can be really impactful on function or just your ADLs. And I'm, I want you, Alex, and you, Tommaso, to do this with me. If you have a, a glass of water with you or something you could drink, if not, go get one now. All the uh, listeners at home, I want you to do this too. So, Am I going to try to what? stand upside down and drink this? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not talking about gravity, Alex, <laughs> and, and space. Don't have us go down that rabbit hole shit. Uh, but okay, I want both of you to 
take a drink of water, like a decent sized gulp and just hold it in your mouth. And then what I want you guys to do is basically put yourself in a Sperling's compression test position. All right. Okay. Now I want you to swallow. How'd that feel? Is that what uh, people, when they shotgun glasses of beer do? Cause that just flew down my throat. <laughs> so it was, it was easy for you. How was it for you, Alex? I think I need a larger sample size. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Huh? I'm gonna do it. it just, it, that felt awkward. Yeah, it's a little awkward, right? Yeah. There's a reason for this. Gino, what's the reason? Oh, yeah. When I did it to the left, that sucked. <laughs> um, well, like Alex said, it's awkward, right? You could get it done, but it's not optimal because you're changing the length of the muscles. You're changing the way they contract. And what Travis tells me, who he does a lot of work with, like, orofacial patients and patients who have to get radiation for esophageal cancer what he was kind of alluding to is like this is like what they feel when they swallow all the time and that a change in someone's posture like we just did where they're doing maximal rotation to one direction is going to have an effect on that muscle function so it's hard for us to always say that deviations in posture are meaningless and can't have an effect on the patient's performance and he went on to say a lot more valuable things that I can't repeat because my brain did not remember them. But one of his big things was that for patients who are suffering some of uh, the symptoms that he mentioned who are getting radiation for esophageal cancer, he preached that laying down should be one of the criteria that they need to meet for discharge because many of these patients are stuck in such kyphosis that they can't handle more than two minutes laying on their back because those muscles can't elongate enough and be in a comfortable position for them to sustain that for prolonged periods of time. And obviously like not everyone can sleep on their side. Some people need to sleep on their back and we run into that with like rotator cuff repair as well. But that was one of the things that he preached we should be looking at with some of these patients who are going through some of those things. And I think it was just eye opening for me because it lended me a different perspective on when posture can be pretty important and pretty significant to the patients to start planning and, and plan of care. And I just wanted to share that with you guys, because I don't think it's something that we run into every day. Yeah. I think you're getting into the, the world of a, a lengthened muscle is a weak muscle, a short muscle is a weak muscle, right? I think the terms were active and passive insufficiency with that. Um, but I mean, you also see it in, in, TMJ function, right? Like if you don't have active extension of the upper cervical spine, then your ability to open up your mouth is lessened, right? And then you can't eat, right? I had an issue with my, I had TMD um, where I think I was only able to open my mouth about 25 millimeters, which is very small, right? So I, I basically had a liquid diet and now not, that wasn't necessarily due to posture, like my posture wasn't in a, a forward head posture it just it's more i'm alluding to the fact that certain positions at other joints can cause limitations or deviations for the quote-unquote norm which will impair your function like eating swallowing just like you said yeah that was stated really well from both you guys it's you hear a lot on social media or amongst the peers that like, oh, posture never matters, or it just always matters. It's just trying to distill it down on how much it matters in this situation. And kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier, Gino, with lifting mechanics and performance and things like that, it's kind of along the similar lines of lifting mechanics, because if there, you have a higher level athlete, I'm probably going to be a lot more critical on positioning and if you want to call it posture within a certain movement movement and it's not because doing it one way is harmful or or is going to get you injured it's just that it's not as efficient for the task at hand and so it's kind of a sliding scale on how much does something matter uh, like it, for any of these things, whether that's low back positioning in a deadlift or knee positioning in a squat and things like that, it's just all depends on the person, their goals, and 
uh, sliding that scale on trying to determine how much and when it matters. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but no, I mean, you're right, right? And that sliding scale can be relative to what you're doing. So if we take the deadlift, for example, if we're lifting heavy enough weight, we're not going to avoid lumbar flexion, which is not a bad thing. It's just how our body moves. We're dynamic. We're meant to move. We're meant to flex. We're meant to extend. Okay. But I also think that there's a difference in efficiency and how you can set your form up to be more efficient when you're lifting. But the way that you do it, as long as you build up that tolerance to it, it's not, it, you have a less likelihood of leading into pain or an injury. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, Tommaso, that, that's basically what you said earlier, but you said it in a different way. Like, your body is going to adapt to the way you do something, whether it's optimal in the eyes of social media or not. So that's, I would say, the most common thing I have happened to me is I'll have a patient come in with acute low back pain who says that I lifted something that was 50 pounds, but it was with bad form. And that's why that happened. And typically one of the questions I ask throughout the plan of care is, well, how often are you lifting things that are 50 pounds off the floor? Because it's likely that the frequency at which you were doing that is what caused there to be an issue when you did it that time, not the form that you use. Because as Alex and you both stated, we know that the spine is going to be flexing. We know that it's okay to flex when you're lifting. It's not that. It's are we doing the things that we need to to adapt to lifting 50 pounds off the floor? Because if we're not, that's typically when the problems occur, regardless of what form you're doing it with. And the only times that we should be really changing form would be, in my opinion, like Alex said, if we're trying to optimize performance, right? going back to biomechanics, one of the times when biomechanics may matter, or if we're trying to modify something to make something less painful for the patient. So for instance, if lifting one way is really painful for them, and that's something we need to get back to, we can take the route of let's just modify the exercise so it's more tolerable for you, or let's see if we can modify this form for a short period of time, and then build our way back up to what you're doing. And just a real quick story, I had a a young female patient who was passed on to me. She was only like three sessions in and she basically tells me that she's been dealing with knee pain for like upwards of a year, kind of on and off. And so I asked her some questions. So I said, all right, let's go to the barbell because she's reported to me that she was like lifting a lot and she could deadlift like 150 or 200 pounds. So I was like, all right, let's push it a little bit. So we start squatting and her knees are coming super far over her toes. Now, we all know that is not bad, right? You could lift with knees way far over your toes and be perfectly fine. But we do know that it is going to put some more stress on the knee. So very simply, I said, let's try send your butt back, keep knees over your toes. And I, I made sure I explained to her, like, this isn't necessarily bad that you're doing this, but let's see if we can modify it and get you feeling better. And sure enough, we did it and she had no knee pain, right? And my education to her before she left was kind of recapping some of the things, but saying, we are going to get back to you squatting with your knees over toes. But right now, that's just a little bit too much for those tissues. And she was on board with everything. And it was as simple as that. So that's kind of what comes in my head when, you, when you're saying this stuff that you're saying, Tommaso. And I think it's a good example to use moving forward. Yeah, we, we shouldn't try to standardize a form. We should standardize optimizing movement to what is best for the patients and their anatomical differences. Yeah, and I like that story, Gino, because, yeah, we think about adjusting mechanics or posture to reduce pain or for performance, but there's also that third reason on why we can adjust mechanics we can adjust the levers of the anatomy to expose certain tissues uh, to load and to necessary demands. And so, yeah, if, if someone's battling tendinopathy, you know, to your point, maybe early on we reduce the amount of anterior knee translation, but then towards the end stage of that, yeah, we're probably going to have them squatting with a super erect tr trunk position 
maybe even on a slant board in a front rack position so that their knees go extremely over their toes to expose their quads and that tendon to the necessary stressors to uh, adapt and heal. So I love that, Gino. Guys, I don't know about you, but I just feel invigorated being back recording with you bros and doing this. It's been too long and I miss it way too much. Uh, this was a great, great talk. Uh, <laughs> any, uh, any last comments from each of us with this topic or no? That's all I'm going to say is that you guys were spitting some fire and this is Woo! one of our best episodes yet. Woo! One of the reasons why I love doing this is because I learned so much from you guys doing this stuff and hearing you guys talk. Uh, I, I think the main takeaways for me are just not demonizing any type of posture, any type of positioning with your patients, uh, explore their beliefs, explore their history explore what they think is going on and find out if any of those deviations are meaningful in your plan of care or just a normal variation that you're seeing because of the patient's activity. Yep. Yep. And then emphasizing that the social aspects can influence posture as well. The mood, your emotions, uh, how good you're feeling on a certain day, it can all influence that posture and it's a super dynamic and fluid thing and and you're not really going to achieve a perfect posture and then that's it you won you know it's always changing and fluid so adapt the person to those dynamic uh changes could we say that motion is lotion <laughs> Cool. The most cool. overused <laughs> statement in PT, but I mean, it's true, right? Like, as long as cool. we're on quote, motion is quote. <laughs> as long as we are changing and move. Oh my gosh, as long as we are moving and staying active, I think. No, I got a cheesier one, and it was probably from like Hannah Moved or someone. You guys ever use your next posture is your best posture? <laughs> <laughs> ah. The patients that come with neck pain, I go, oh, that must be a real pain in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> I know this has been a pain in the neck for you, pun intended. Oh. When I turned left, it was hard for me. Then when I turned right, am I fucking dying or what's happening? No, it's because your ear on that side is heavier. So it, it closes it down <laughs> even more. <laughs> <laughs> First, you attack my nose, then my ears. <laughs> posture. But yeah, dude, posture.